Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians. And that's going to be our passage for the day. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 is where we're going to land. Um, I'm going to work on this stand here for a minute uh, while y'all turn there. I don't know how to do this first time. First round for me here. Uh, I love that song that we sang just now, the, Such an Awesome God. I love the fact that I love what happens in the song as you kind of uh, meditate on and think about uh, all these attributes that it describes it kind of gives us a picture of who Jesus is and this, uh, this overwhelming picture as, as we respond in worship of, 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 of what an awesome God he is. It kind of leads us to that place when we kind of think about who he is and all the things that he's done and, all, and, and the, the attributes that, that describe him as we sing about it. The, it leads us to this place that he is way more awesome than we can comprehend. And the kind of the, 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 as we wrapped up a couple weeks ago, this, this um, series called Masterclass, we worked through the book of Mark. What we did through there is we saw, we worked through and looked at who Jesus is and his life and his teachings. And we saw lots of times throughout that 16 weeks what an awesome God or what an awesome God Jesus is. How selfless and generous, how holy and mighty and wonderful Christ is. And it's, he's incredible. And how awesome he is is kind of where what we just sang is what we looked at. And, and as Jesus ministered on earth, in the, in the three years that he lived, in the 33 years that he lived on earth, but in the three years that he ministered on earth, we, we saw all those things. But as he was leaving, as he was ascending back to heaven, he tells the disciples before he goes, he tells them that he's going to send after he leaves, he's going to send the Holy Spirit. As he returns to the Father, he's going to send the Holy Spirit. And it's the third part of the Trinity that's existed uh, from the very beginning eternally with the Father and the Son. And he says he's going to send the Spirit and the Spirit will be with you and he will be in you. Is what Jesus tells the, the disciples. And it happens, that happens as the Spirit comes. We see that in Acts chapter 2, the Spirit comes and he dwells in us. And this is where we talk, so he's going to be with us, but he's going to be in us. It's kind of where we get this idea, you know, you... If you think about it, when you're, when you're a kid and you're, maybe you didn't grow up in the church, but if you grew up in the church, you know that the language that we use a lot of times is that Jesus is going to come and live in your heart. And the reality of what Jesus says here, that the Spirit is going to be with you, is going to be in you, and, and that's, what's gonna, that's, that's where we get that idea. It's what, Je, what Jesus was talking about with Nicodemus in John chapter 3. There's the, the story of Jesus having this interaction. He said, you're going to be born again. This is the new life of the Spirit that comes in there. And if you really think about this whole idea of Jesus living in your heart, it's, it could be a little, bit of, a little bit terrifying concept for a kid, right? I mean, you think about it logically, right, today think about it logically I mean how does Jesus fit in your heart right like little tiny Jesus he's walking around in your heart especially like when you get a little older and you realize your heart is like a muscle and you're like how where where, where is Jesus gonna fit in there like does he need a snack like a juice box or something but this is what we're talking when we talk about the spirit comes in is with you but he's also in you it's what Jesus promised to the disciples and that that the reality of Jesus being in you the the what, was hap what happens there is what we look at in, in Galatians as we turn to Galatians chapter 5 and read, walk through the fruit of the Spirit, which we're walking through over the next several weeks, is the evidence of the Spirit living inside of you, a little Jesus in your heart. There's not little Jesus in your heart. That's almost blasphemy, right? I think I'd probably step aside for the lightning strike. But the evidence of Jesus, of the Spirit of God living inside, not only with us, 
which Jesus was with the disciples, but stepping farther than that, that the Spirit of God would be in you. And the evidence of those who put their faith in Jesus is that the Spirit would be in us and there would be fruit of the Spirit inside of us. And that's what we're studying over the next several weeks. In, in Galatians chapter, 20, chapter 5, verse 22 and 23, it says, but the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit of Christ inside of us, what works itself out, what naturally comes out of those who have trusted Christ is love and joy and peace. In the NIV it says forbearance, but the word is patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. And Pastor Jeff opened us up last week with, with love. That the, one of the fruits of the Spirit, one of the evidences of the Spirit living inside of those who call themselves believers, who have put their faith in Jesus, is love. And one commentator put it this as I was kind of preparing and, and reading this week. One says that love appears first because it's the greatest quality of, and the most clearly, it most clearly reflects God's character. And joy is, comes, is what we'll look at this week. It comes in a close second. The same author says this, joy comes a close second to love because it's, it's rejoicing in God's salvation that the Christians show that their affections are rightly placed in God's will and his purpose. And so it, 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 love comes first because it is the, the greatest reflection of who Christ is and that evidence being displayed in us. But joy runs that close second because when we understand what Christ has done for us, joy flows out of us. And our goal today, as it will be for the next several weeks, is to open up God's word. And as we walk through all of the fruit of the Spirit, the, all of the things that are naturally evident in those who have put their faith in Christ Jesus, we want to honestly ask questions, do the self-examination, the hard examination, and uh, ask these hard questions and honestly answer the questions of, are these fruits evident, increasingly evident in my life? Is this fruit fresh in my life right now? And if not, why? In my prayer specifically, to borrow a prayer from uh, an author named Scotty Smith in, 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 a, in, in something that he wrote called Prayers for a Fresh Crop of Spirit's Fruit. So the prayer is this, that the Lord in his grace would grant us joy that transcends our circumstances. Some of us need that this morning. All of us need that. Joy that transcends our circumstances, sabotages our excuses, and turns our whines into worship. And that's my prayer for us this morning. That the Lord would grant us joy that transcends our circumstances, sabotages our, our excuses, and turns our whining into worship. And if you would, we'll pause and just ask the Lord to bless this moment as we open up his word with his spirit being present with us. Lord, we thank you that your word does say that your spirit lives inside of us. Those who have put their faith in you, that you take residence in us. That you give us new life, new hope, new joy. And the fruit of that spirit, we, God, we pray would become increasingly evident that it would grow fresh growth of that joy in our lives. And God, as we open up your word, we pray that it would be a mirror to us. That it would expose, and, and with the hard questions that we would answer honestly, is the fruit of joy evident in my life? And if not, why? That we would bring that to you. 
Lord, we pray for what you're doing in this place. I thank you for the, those who have gathered here. I thank you for the songs that we sing. I pray for the, the word it is, as it is preached, Lord, this morning. I pray that it would be clear. And then I pray that you would do your work by the power of your spirit to transform lives. It's in Christ's strong and mighty name that we pray. Amen. Amen. I ask you to open to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Verse 16 through 18, it's a very short passage of scripture, but it's, it's full for us this morning. And it says this, and if, if, it should be on the screen here for us. Verse, starting in verse 16, it says, rejoice always. Very clear. Rejoice always. In the NIV or the New Living Translation and some other translations, it uses the words, always be joyful. Verse 17, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Many of us uh, give a little, little thought to the importance, we'll give just a little bit of thought to the importance of joy in our lives. But, and sadly, it's often because joy is not evident a lot of times in the lives of believers. It's not something that, you know, I, I grew up in a, in a small church. It wasn't a country church, but a country-ish church. And, and I remember the, those folks that you kind of sidestepped even as a kid. Like, you didn't go around them because there was always a problem, right? There was always something that they were going to talk about that was going to make, they were going to pick out something that I wouldn't, I didn't wear my tie straight on that particular Sunday, and now I don't know what they would say. Like, I wear t-shirts on regular Sundays, I don't, they would lose their minds, right? But joy is not evident sometimes in the lives of followers of Jesus, and that's, and that's sad because, honestly, the fruit of the Spirit not being there may be something we would want to talk about, but joy is important. Throughout Scripture, it's an important word. It's an important con something that is important throughout Scripture. 159 times in the Bible, the word rejoice appears. Excuse me, the word joy appears. And 198 times, the word rejoice appears. There's 27 different phrases or diff different words to describe joy in the Old Testament alone. It's important to God that the believers, that his followers have this joy of the spirit inside of him in Romans chapter 14 verse 17 it says for the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking I like those things a lot but the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating, eating and drinking it's a matter of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit Paul says life in the kingdom is not a, is, is not a matter of just eating and drinking it's a matter of righteousness Peace and joy. And if you, if the reality of just the way that he calls that, that sounds like it's a pretty important thing. So the best thing for us to do to begin with, I think, is to kind of land on a definition of what joy is. Webster gives us a definition. If you're following along in your worship guide, that's our first line there is, is a definition of joy. Webster gives us a definition. It's the emotion, the emotion evoked by well-being, success, good fortune, or the prospect or the, of possessing what one desires. It's the state of happiness, felicity. I don't use that word very often. The state of happiness, felicity, or bliss. It's to experience great pleasure or delight. And in our culture, joy is often an emotion, right? It's this emotion that has everything to do with our circumstances. And I know in this room that, I, I, and I'm not above it, I know in this room a lot of times joy or, or what we think is joy does ha so often have to, have to do with our circumstances. 
But that's because joy and happiness are often confused. We get confused with what joy and happiness is. But, but even in our definition, joy is a state of happiness, right? But, but, but what we want to do is rearrange our lives and the circumstances of our lives to make us happy because we think that that's what joy is. We think that if I, I am this, but I want to be that. Or I have these things, but I want to have those things. And if I have those things, then I'll be happy or I'll be joyful. But, but that's not what the Bible defines joy as. What the Bible says that joy is much deeper than circumstances. That it, it, does, it is associated with our circumstances, but it also runs deeper than those circumstances, than the events of our lives itself. In Thessalonians, we know that because throughout the Bible it says that in Thessalonians, in, in one and two, these two letters that Paul writes, they're concentrated in those two letters is the use of joy more than any other book in the Bible. And Paul writes that letter that's full of joy from a prison cell. And so joy by definition, and by the reality of what Paul teaches us when he writes the very writing of this letter, is joy is far beyond the circumstances that we find ourselves in. And this morning, the definition I want to use, and if you're filling in blanks there, this is kind of the second one there, is a, is a definition from Mike Mentor, who leads our primetime ministry at our Franklin campus and is one of our teaching pastors. He's, he's preached here a couple times. He's an incredible man of God. And this is a definition of joy that he shared with some of the teaching pastors a couple weeks ago. And this is, I, I love it. It says, joy is the inner spiritual confidence, joy is the inner spiritual confidence that God's grace is sufficient to see me through my earthly pilgrimage. Joy is the inner spiritual confidence that God's grace is sufficient to see me through my earthly pilgrimage. It's this inner confidence that manifests itself in this outward celebration and outward countenance of life that is joyful and and what we need is joy not happiness what we need is joy that is firmly rooted in who God is and not happiness that's rooted in our circumstances I found this incredible quote from uh, Bill Bright who's the founder of Campus Crusade uh, for Christ and it says this that joy is like the sun it's always shining even when night falls or the clouds cover it but happiness is like the moon that waxes and wanes Happiness is born in the mind, but joy is born in the heart. Happiness comes from humans, but joy comes from God. And that leads us to the second two things that are, that are what, what joy is. That joy is a gift and a command. That joy is a gift and a command. He says, be joyful always. It's an imperative. It's not be joyful always, question mark. It's be joyful always. Do this. It's a command, but it's also a gift. And that's what you see in the, second, in the next line. Joy is empowered by the Holy Spirit. It's what Bill Bright said, that joy, happiness comes from humans. I can give you happiness. Just ask my kids. If I come home with a gift, if I come home and, and, we, and I say, hey, we're going to go to this place that they really want, I can give you happiness. But that only lasts for a little while until that thing breaks or the place that we go is not cool anymore and you want to go to a different place. Happiness waxes and wanes, but joy is a gift. It's empowered by the Holy Spirit. I've met plenty of people who are not believers in Jesus who are happy. I've never met somebody who is sustainably joyful who doesn't know Christ. Because joy is a gift 
from the Spirit of God that lives inside of us. It's empowered by the Holy Spirit, not by us. And Jesus says to, the, to his disciples in John chapter 15, verse 11, he said, I've told you this. He tells them these, the stories of what it means to walk with him and, and how to walk with him. He says, I've told you these things so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. sure that nobody in this room has ever found themselves exhausted by the pursuit of happiness, but I, I know what that feels like. We're going to touch a little bit on why we find ourselves exhausted in that pursuit of happiness in a second, but, but before we move to that, there's, there's this simple and profound truth that arises from Scripture, that when we run after happiness, when we pursue happiness and we chase it with so much energy and effort, it leaves us exhausted, but joy what our hearts truly long for, joy that satisfies and is not fragile, that is not shaken by every changing wind of circumstances. Joy is not and will never be the work of our incapable hands. Joy is always the gracious gift of a loving Father who cares deeply about His creatures. That reality that Jesus cares deeply about my joy, not my happiness, but a firmly planted joy. James 1 chapter James 1 verse 17 says that every good and perfect gift comes from the Father above. That even includes the joy that he empowers us with and is concerned about in you and I. Definition definitionally joy is something that comes from him. It's an inner confidence that his grace is sufficient. It's a gift and it's a command and it's empowered by the Holy Spirit that but then it leads us to this, that, that there are pathways to joy. It, it, is, it is something that is in, empowered by the Holy Spirit, but there are ways that the Word tells us, that God's Word tells us that we can find joy and make it flourish. Right, that we can, let, we can see joy grow because of the pathways that He's provided for us. The pathways to joy, are, and, and pathways to joy, there are both stepping stones, which we're going to look at in a second, but also stumbling blocks. And I think that that's really cool, the stepping stones, the stumbling block pathway. I think that's cool, but I stole that from somebody else. I'm not even going to act like that's mine. It's another, uh, uh, Jerry Bridges, who wrote an incredible book on the fruit of the Spirit, and, and he uses that stumbling block. I didn't want y'all to think that I was really clever or whatever. Uh, I want to remove all thoughts that I'm clever. But what are the stumbling blocks? We'll get to the stepping stones in a second. What are the stumbling blocks? Last week, Pastor Jeff said that, that the opposite of love is not hate, but the opposite of love is apathy. And I think that there's a clear opposite for joy, that, but we may get confused. Sometimes I think we think opposite of joy is sorrow and trial, but that's not the opposite of joy. The opposite of joy, and countless scriptures prove it, is not sorrow and trial, but the opposite of joy is discontentment, despair, and hopelessness. What I want to walk through is just a couple of different ways that, that we find ourselves discontent or, or, or we find ourselves in this place where we, that, that are stumbling blocks to our joy. And the first, and I think one of those root places, is just discontentment. I say that it's the leading thief of our joy. It's the thing that is, leads the way in, in stealing that joy. It's that dissatisfaction with our circumstances. It's being discontent. It's, it's that, it's that not, being, not being okay with where we are. And, and it's seen clearly in lots of other ways. It's seen clearly in comparison. When we compare ourselves to others, Mark Twain said that comparison is the death of joy. And social media is certainly the avenue that steals that joy. 
right? I mean, what, what happens on social media, whatever the platform is, Instagram, Facebook, Pinterest, uh, TikTok, or whatever those things are, it, all of those different things, it, they, they, they give us an opportunity to compare our worst moments in life with the most edited moments of somebody else's, right? And then we compare ourselves and think that we don't have what they have, and the only joy comes when we get what they have. And then we don't get to enjoy our lives or theirs, and so we're left miserable and joyless. Comparison steals our joy. Expectations will rob us of joy. It's one of the huge ones for me because a lot of times I think that we operate in this world, and I see it in my, in my kids, and I see it in marriages, I see it in, in friendships where we operate in this world that things should go really well for us. That everything's going to be easy and it's gonna, life is going to go this way and we're going to have the things that we want. That we think that we expect that life is going to be roses and rainbows. But when we face difficulties and trials, our lives are shattered. And it steals our joy. Somehow we forget Jesus' words to his disciples and to us in John chapter 16. When he says, in this world, you will have trouble. It wasn't a joke. He didn't laugh after that, not even in the Greek. He didn't laugh and be like, no, I'm just kidding. It's going to be fine. In this world, you will have trouble. But we're sidelined by trouble, even though Jesus says you're going to have trouble. And in the same time, he's going to say just the chapter before, his joy is in us and our joy is complete. And now he's going to tell us we're going to have trouble. How do those two things matter? Because joy is not in our circumstances. And if our expectations are, are skewed and messed up, then it's going to rob us of that joy. It points here, and we've got to stay aware of it, that we're going to see joy. We live in a world that is broken and shattered by sin. We live with people who are broken and shattered by sin, and they're going to disappoint us. Things are going to disappoint us. People are going to disappoint us. Jobs are going to disappoint us. All of those things are going to disappoint us, and if we let our joy rest in those things and those people and those jobs, expectations, then joy will be crumbled as well. We'll be sidelined by it. Not only is it that, it's pride. Pride is, pokes its, its ugly head and it says that I know better than you, God. I'm in charge of my life and, and I know better what brings me joy. And nothing, can, nothing will, will, will destroy joy like thinking you know better than God what he designed you for. Misplaced confidence place our confidence in not only pride is placing that confidence in ourselves misplaced confidence places it in any other thing whether that be toys and jobs and people it's placing it in any other thing literally anything other than Jesus selfishness focusing on ourselves we think we're it's called self-care you should try it sometime maybe you should but maybe we should not live so selfish and we would experience the joy that we're all longing for that we're trying so hard with self-care Maybe sometimes the things that would get us to that place of joy would be thinking about somebody else rather than thinking about ourselves. I'm not saying self-care is bad. Go get you a manicure if you need a manicure. That seems weird to me. But it's not just, it, it, sometimes we need to get outside of ourselves to experience the joy that God desires for us to experience. And all of those things, I think we just try to package it all comes down to one thing that really is what makes us miserable and distorts everything. It's sin at the bottom, at the root of all of it, is what leaves us joyless. 
sin when we compare ourselves to others and we begin to question God's faithfulness, sin when we have these expectations of others or things when we put our, when our hope is in other things and, and we, we get sidelined, sin of pride, sin of misplacing our confidence, sin of selfishness, sin makes us miserable because it distorts everything, it robs us because it's a rebellion against God, the one who loves us and desires, designed us to have life with him and we run away from him running from God and seeking to find joy in our creation rather than the creator. Sin steals any hope of joy by separating us from the very source of the joy that we long for. Which brings us to the stepping stones, and we'll pick up in the stepping stones right where we left off in the stumbling blocks. So how do we find joy in the stepping stones? I would say the very first thing is confession and repentance. We don't need to move past, okay, write, write down, okay, I need, to, I need to read my Bible five times a week and, and do this. And like, yes, I want, we're going to get to that. But ultimately, if you want to start somewhere, if joy is being taken from you because of sin, then really where we've got to start is confession and repentance. One of the most common stumbling blocks is joy. And the attitude, or common stumbling blocks to our, to our joy is sin and the attitude of our hearts the things that we participate in, when we're not growing more and more joyful, when we're not seeing the fruit of joy in our lives, the question as we examine our hearts should be, is there sin that's keeping me from experiencing the joy that God has for me? Is there envy? Is there unforgiveness? Is there bitterness? I realized a couple years, a couple not, not too long ago that I had a, had a bad experience at a, at a previous place that I, I, I was at years ago. I was young and stupid. And I would say that the, the bad experience was much less those who I thought were the problem and much more me. But at, this was a couple years ago that I, I began to realize that, that I was holding a grudge against one of the guys that I served with in that place. And there was a lack of joy in my life, a lack of joy in my ministry, a lack of joy in the, in the relationships that I had and the where God had put me. And a lot of it streamed back to or sent back to this place and this, this bitterness and this in, or this, the, the things that I held against and unforgiveness against this individual. And literally they had no idea. The only one suffering in this relationship was me. And some of you have been broken by people. You've been hurt by, literally hurt by people. Your, yours is not a story of you being stupid. It was, that's my story. You're, you've literally been hurt by somebody. And you can't experience the joy that God designed for you because you will not let go and forgive them. You've, lay, you've held on to bitterness for years, maybe, maybe not years, for just too long. And it's not letting you experience the joy that God has for you. And what we've got to do knowingly we've got to come to the place where we confess and we repent. Listen to what David says in Psalm chapter 32. This, this doesn't, just, we've got to hear this truthfully. It says, when I kept, when his sin was exposed, it says, when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my, groan, through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy on me. My strength was sapped as in the summer heat. And then I acknowledged my sin did not cover up my iniquity. And I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. 
said earlier we would look at why we're exhausted by chasing happiness and some of us are exhausted right now you literally walk around life lethargic tired all the time physically and you think that it's something external but I'm telling you right now that maybe you need to ask yourself is that this is the hand of the Lord heavy on you sapping your strength until you confess, and it's his grace that his hand is heavy on you, not his anger. Because he doesn't want you to live in that, in that place where you're walking joylessly. He puts his hand, of, his hand, heavy hand on you to, to bring you to the point where you exhaust yourself until you come and say, God, would you forgive me for these, my sin, the way that I've held bitterness or unforgiveness or whatever it is. Some of us just need to hear that, that God wants to give this joy to you going to come through the pathway, through the stepping stone of confession and repentance. I spent about five minutes longer on that than I meant to. Stepping stone of prayer and thanksgiving. It's right there in our passage, 1 Thessalonians 5. It says, rejoice always. How? Pray continually. Because if we pray continually, we're constantly in fellowship with the Father. And when we're in constant fellowship with the Father, what happens then? We, we begin to give thanks for things. We begin to have a grateful heart. So we rejoice always by praying continually and giving thanks. You want to meet somebody who's joyful? You can meet somebody who spends a lot of time with Jesus and is grateful for the things that Jesus has given. When you meet somebody who's truly joyful, you're going to meet somebody who spent time with Jesus, who rests in who Jesus is and all that he's done, and they're grateful for his grace, which leads us to the abiding and obeying, that we rest in who he is. We're resting in who he is, and we walk in faithfulness and obedience to him, that we read his truth, that another stepping stone is that we read his truth, and the Holy Spirit uses God's word to bring joy to the hearts of his children. You know how you, that you know how loving and faithful and gracious your father is, and that when you hear his voice speaking his love over you, that your heart is warmed and joyful. We have to spend time in his word. Psalm chapter 19 says that his word refreshes our soul, that it makes wise the simple, it brings joy to the heart. His word does. God's word brings joy the heart. You want to experience joy if you're not reading your word, reading God's word on a regular basis, spending time with him, spending time with God in his word. How could you expect to experience joy when God says he uses his word to do the very thing that you're longing for? It gives light for the eyes. It endures forever. It is more precious than gold, sweeter than honey. Gives us his words and his grace to bring joy to our heart. We focus on Jesus rather than ourselves. We focus on others rather than ourselves to find joy. And we remember that God is sovereign and eternal. That all of this is momentary. And it's so important that we remember that God is sovereign and eternal and all of the things that bring us happiness are momentary. And if you just wanted to find a place where you could see that most clearly, just go to the dump in Murray County or Williamson County this afternoon and just sit there. Because people throw away countless things that they thought would bring them joy. And now it's trash. 
change. That all these things are momentary. That it's the, those things that we think are going to bring us joy, that they're really going to bring us happiness for a moment, and then we're going to throw them away and put them on a pile. He never changes. He is unchanging. Third thing and last before we, before we wrap up, and I'm purpose of joy. The purpose of joy is to glorify God. The purpose of joy is to glorify God, to display to an unbelieving world God's love, faithfulness, and care. I'm not giving you enough time for that. And to be a conduit of joy to the people around you. The purpose of joy, we have to go back to those so that we have time to write them down. The purpose of joy to glorify God, to display to an unbelieving world God's love, faithfulness, and care. And lastly, the purpose of joy is to be a conduit of joy to the people that are around you. God's, God's, God's glory is what it is, is all about. The purpose of joy is not our happiness. The purpose of joy is to glorify God, to give thanks, to praise him, to celebrate his goodness and his faithfulness and his kindness and generosity. It's to, it's to point to him ultimately. Be joyful always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances. Glorify him in all circumstances to display. And I, I wrote unbelieving world, but I just want to say that maybe this is not just unbelieving world. It's to just everybody that's around us. It's the reason why I want to say, hey, we say getting in a group is really important. Today's a group link day. We say group is really important. Why is group really important? Because being in a group is a place where others are going to put on display God's grace and, his, and the joy that we can find in him. And it may be for you a witness. It may be for you a display of God's love and faithfulness and care that encourages your heart to walk faithfully with him. So it may not just be an unbelieving world. It may be just the people that are sitting next to you. be a conduit of that joy. It wasn't ever meant to land on us. It was meant to be shared with others. The joy that God gives us was never meant to be to end in us. It was meant to be shared with others. We are so selfish. We put it all on ourselves and we leave, we leave it right here with us. God said it's, we're to be conduits of that joy to other people, the people that are around us. When it, comes to, when it comes to joy, I think it's the best thing to do is to find and to look in, in Scripture to find what makes God's heart joyful. And when you look at Scripture, there's a couple of places that you can see that. One of those places is in the Gospels. When, when Jesus tells us three parables tells the parable of the lost coin and the lost sheep and then of the, um, the prodigal son. He says, he says that at the end of each of those parables as he tells us what it means to, as he kind of gives us an example of what it means to be joyful or, or what makes, what brings joy to the heart of the father. It says this at the end of the, at the end of the story or the parable of the lost sheep. It says, and I tell you, 99 sheep have, He's gone to find the one, and he's rescued the one. He says, I tell you that in the same way, there is more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents 
to 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. And this lost coin, he tells the story of the lost coin where there's one coin and, and, and they turn over the whole house, everything to find this one coin. And they rejoice when they find the coin. And it says in verse 10 that in the same way I tell you, you're rejoicing, that the, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. And then the prodigal son, when the prodigal son returns and the brother comes back and he's upset that there's a party going on for the brother who left, the response by the father says, but we had to celebrate and be glad. We had to be joyful. We had to celebrate and be glad because, because your brother, because this brother of yours was dead, but now he's alive again. He was lost, but now he's found. Listen, if we want to be joyful in life, we've got to be joyful in the things that make God joyful. And ultimately what makes God joyful, what we see in Scripture, is when the lost come to him. And this morning, if you've come and you maybe you don't know what it means to have a relationship with God and this whole idea of joy seems so distant to you, I want to tell you that there's a relationship with one who, where joy is unending. Where joy is deeper than the circumstances, when joy is deeper than the problems, and he's invited you into that relationship. There's a, there's a, there's a joy that Jesus wants you to have, that the joy that you long for right now there's, there, that there's a Jesus who wants you to have that joy more than you want to have it yourself. And he's invited you into that relationship by laying his life down on the cross so that we could have a relationship with him. As believers, I hope our hearts are moved in the same way that they're moved in heaven when one lost comes to know him. And if you don't know him, what I want you to hear is that he wants you to have joy invited you into this relationship that you can have joy that no one else can. If, that is, if you are this morning, if you don't have a relationship with Christ, I, I, I don't ever want to pass up an opportunity for you to have a chance to respond. There's not going to be a song that we play this morning, but at the end of the service as we wrap up, I'd love to have a conversation with you about what that means and, and what that looks like. If you're packing up chairs, we can have a, a quick conversation. I'm going to pray, we're going to close, and then I'm going to ask our ushers to come forward, and I'm going to share something with you as we take up the offering, something uh, fun and exciting and joyful uh, for, for you to, to, to enjoy today. So, Lord, we thank you for today. And we thank you for the joy that does fill our hearts, not because of the circumstances or the people that are around us, but because of Christ. That you are our joy. Jesus, you want our hearts to be filled with joy, with your joy that was far beyond circumstances, Jesus. Even as you told the disciples that, that you want to, you want to fill them with your joy, you were just hours away from being crucified on a cross, that you still had joy in that moment. God, that's the joy that we long for. We thank you that you desire for us to experience it more than we even come close to desiring. And I pray this morning that you would stir in our hearts that fresh fruit of joy. And it would be evident, not just, not just that it would be more and more evident, increasingly ever, evident under those, to those around us. And God, it, you would use it as a witness and as to glorify your name and as to be uh, a witness to the world that's around us, to our friends and our family and to those that we work with of your care and your love for us. 
God, you would use us to be conduits of your love. In Christ's strong and mighty name that we pray. Amen.